Hey guys, this is Spiro Didis, and you're listening to the On the Board Sports Podcast with my guys, Sean and William. You can put it on the board. Yes. And welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Trucci, aka Will C, coming to you from Long Island, New York. And we have a very, very special episode today. We're talking and we're making a NBA preview podcast that episode. And I'm always joined by my main man, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee on the mic. Sean, how you making out this Tuesday, bud? Well, happy Temple Tuesday. Hope everybody's doing well. Kind of cold here, kind of, you know, cold, but I'm doing well. How are you doing, pal? Doing good. Can't complain. Trying to make the best out of out of every situation, of course. But for this NBA preview, we have a very special guest. And honestly, he's the right man for this because he broadcast games for the Portland Trailblazers. And he used to do the Seattle Sonics, who are now the Oklahoma City Thunder, for those of you that don't know or living under a rock. We're talking with the one and only Kevin Calabro. Kevin, thank you so much for sacrificing some time with us and talking NBA and yourself, really. How are you today? Doing great, Will. Sean, great to join you. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the league. I, I love the NBA, love professional basketball. I love the game of basketball. Having grown up in the great state of Indiana, in Indiana, in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, uh, you know, following the old ABA, that was my thing, the old American Basketball Association, beginning in 1967 in Indianapolis. Well said, Kevin. Well said. Uh, Kevin, like my partner Will said, thank you for taking some time, pal. Before we talk about anything uh, sports, though, pal, how have you been, family been, our friends been through this whole uh, pandemic and stuff like that. How have you been, Bill? Yeah, we've been doing great. Uh, we live out here in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, my four kids are all located in Seattle. My wife and I have a second home. We've been lucky enough to own a second home for about 15 years up in north central Washington, about 90 miles from the Canadian border. So we're up here right now. Uh, we've got a small house on the side of a mountain overlooking a lake. We love it. Uh, we hear birds we hear bobcats we hear nothing else man there's nothing else going on out here <laughs> I mean, it's, it's totally merry. and uh, you know our only trip into town is for uh, for groceries every couple of weeks in fact i just came in to join you i was out shoveling snow so we got our first real nice fresh snow of the year we're looking forward to getting out and doing a lot of snowshoeing i do a lot of downhill skiing my wife and i are going to get into cross-country skiing so you know we're kind of using this time together which is unique because I've been traveling doing NBA basketball or pro or college uh, stuff since I was 25 years old. So I've been doing this for about close to 40 years. And my wife has made the sacrifice all these years, you know, me being on the road, taking care of the kids doing that. So we just decided in the summer, even though I had a great gig with the Portland Trailblazers, it was a very tough decision to make, but we decided to just shut it down for a year, see what happens get together as a family, take care of one another, take care of our community as best we could, and just see where all of this goes. And, you know, the league did a terrific job in the summer in the bubble, just a great job. And by all, indica all indications, Adam Silver and the rest of the league, the 30 teams in the league, are 
they've got a good plan uh, together to move forward now as we start the season here in a, a, about a week and a half or so. So I'm pretty confident that the league is, uh, with a 72-game schedule, it's going to be tough. These, these guys are going to be playing every other night. Uh, but a lot of excitement in the league. Uh, that one-week window where you've had to do your free agents, the draft and so forth, really compressed everything, trades and so forth. Uh, Giannis signing the, the max contract today with Milwaukee, as I was telling you guys before we came on the air. Now I think for every action, there's a reaction in the NBA. Now Milwaukee knows with confidence he's going to be with them for the next four years. He's got an opt-out, I guess, after four years of the five-year contract. Did the Supermax, $258 million. It's a good day to be Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> it's and his day, awesome. right? It, it is his day. He's <laughs> so, the man so, that hit the lottery ticket going into it. Uh, exactly. You know, that's I was looking at that 2013 draft. Anthony Bennett was the number one pick that year. That's right. Uh, Giannis pick in the draft. So there were... You know, there were 14 other teams, 14 other general managers that passed on him. I saw him. John Barry and I were doing an ESPN radio game. I forget where we were. Uh, it was somewhere here on the coast. And Milwaukee was playing, and Giannis was in the layup line. And we were so unsure of how to pronounce his name that I, I actually <laughs> walked out of the court. I stopped him in the layup line. <laughs> he, was, he was the absolute best, man. He's such a, you know, he's, a, he's just a bright. Really nice kid, could barely speak English at that time. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he gave me the full explanation of the, uh, of the, the pronunciation and, uh, and we did the broadcast, but I always had an appreciation for him because you know he stopped in the layup line to explain it to me. And I think he was shocked that I walked out on the floor to ask him, but to see him come from where he was, you know, those really humble beginnings in Athens, Greece, uh, his parents, Nigerian immigrants, and his he and his brothers basically selling watches on the street to where he is now and everything that he has overcome and the way he has worked and the way he is, you know, he can still expand his game. To me, that's just a great success story in the NBA. Kevin, before we talk about the NBA preview, talk to us about how you got started up in your broadcasting career because with everything going on, you know, we we're through we're going through a pandemic and you know, you took some time off to take care of your family and the community. But for you, just to backtrack here, how did broadcasting start for you and your love for the game? Oh, yeah. Basketball? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, so growing up in Indiana, my dad was uh, an educator. He was a, a great school principal. Uh, he was a, a sports fan. Uh, we used to follow high, our high school basketball program as small kids. That was the thing to do uh, growing up on the west side of Indianapolis is go to high school basketball games. And so I just became entranced with that whole, the whole stagecraft of it, you know, walking into those gyms, uh, packed full of fans, uh, cheerleaders, fans, the broadcasters, players, everything about it. And, you know, I love to play the game. My, my forte, though, was baseball, but I love to play the game. But I realized once I got to high school, I was a better baseball than basketball. So I decided to, to stay with the baseball, really focus on that, train year-round with the baseball, and, and, and do some broadcasting because I loved rock and roll radio. I loved to listen to the radio, and I loved listening to great broadcasters like Jack Buck at KMOX in St. Louis doing the Cardinals. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when Al Michaels was doing baseball in WLW in Cincinnati for the Reds. Right. Al just absolutely phenomenal on radio, and so was Jack Buck. Uh, the great Bob Prince at KDKA Radio, the Pittsburgh Pirates' old voice, used to listen to the Cleveland voices, used to listen to Joe Tate do 
pro basketball, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, coming out of uh, Cleveland. And they would listen to, um, obviously, would listen to uh, Chip Carey or Skip Carey uh, when he was uh, the son of Harry Carey, when he was doing the radio down in Atlanta and would listen a lot to Harry Carey in Chicago. So I just became enraptured with these guys and what they were doing on radio and just thought, you know, if I ever got an opportunity like that, I'd love to just go for it. Well, our high school had a radio station. So I was able to work at the high school radio station uh, for three years and did play-by-play of our basketball games, did football, played baseball, just had a great, had a great time in high school. And then went to Butler University where I got an opportunity to do, you know, big time division one basketball. And uh, we, we, the program wasn't as successful then as it was under obviously Brad Stevens and, and now l- later on, but uh, we traveled to, I remember going to Marquette to do games, Notre Dame to do games, University of Michigan, went out to USC to do a tournament, Creighton, and so forth. So by the time I came out of college, I had about four years of, of real heavy duty play by play and then worked overnights as a disc jockey at the Indiana Pacers flagship station, WIBC in Indianapolis. and got a chance to work with the great Joe McConnell, one of the terrific radio voices of multiple sports. Uh, Bob Lamey, who was the longtime voice of uh, the Indianapolis Colts. He used to do the Pacers, and he did the, uh, the old Indianapolis racers of the WHA. And a guy by the name of Jerry Baker, who was the original voice of the Indiana Pacers. So I was able to learn a lot from these guys. I was doing high school basketball at the time, which is a big deal. And then did my first gig was doing Purdue basketball and loved it on radio. Uh, actually, it was my first gig paid gig at WIBC was doing the CHL Indianapolis checkers, which was the high minor league team for the New York Islanders. And my first experience with the checkers was going to Rye, New York for training camp with the then coach of the Indianapolis checkers, a guy by the name of Fred Creighton, who had at one time been the coach uh, head coach uh, in Atlanta with the flames and later with the Boston Bruins. And he took me alongside and plugged me in with Jiggs McDonald, the longtime voice of the Islanders Hall of Famer. And Jiggs was able to kind of show me the ropes. But that was in the, uh, in the middle of about a four-year, uh, was a four-year run of Stanley Cup championships of the Islanders. And so when we got to Rye, New York, and got to the rink, our minor league guys were working out with uh, Brian Trottier. Kelly Rudy was our goaltender, who's now in the Hall of Fame, doing a lot of stuff on, on the NHL Network. Kelly was our, our, our goaltender on the minor league, so that he was working out. Billy Smith's down there. He's working with Billy Smith down there. Here's Mike Bossy over here and Trottier and Bobby Nystrom and Clark Gillies. I mean, all these dudes were all out there. I was, and we actually rode to, to, to practice a couple of mornings with Al Arbor, the general manager, who was, you know, brilliant. And so I'm 24 years old from Indiana. My, ex, my exposure to hockey had been minimal. Uh, I did, I did grow up listening to the St. Louis blues and the great, great Dan Kelly of KMOX in St. Louis, a tremendous voice. who was, I think the voice of the NHL on CBS back in the old days. And I used to watch NBC's coverage of the NHL when I was in high school, but I didn't, I don't think I fully grasped the magnitude of, of, of these guys and what I was getting plugged into for two weeks. Anyway, Mike's my first play by play paid experience was with, the checkers. I did the games by myself, no color guy. I did all my own engineering, 
and I did 100 games that year. They won the Adams Cup championship, and we, we just had a ball. Because at that time, I'm 25 years old, and most of these kids or young men were, were my age or a little bit older. Some had had NHL experience and were now at the minor league level, and they were these guys had so many great stories to tell. It was, it was a, maybe two or three cut, cuts above uh, slap shot, but not that much higher than slap shot. <laughs> We'd roll into some of these buildings, and you wondered how they got the ice to freeze. I mean, seriously, it was crazy. I remember we were in Fort Worth a couple – so so Fort Worth, Dallas, Oklahoma City, Wichita, Tulsa in, in the one division, and then we were in the division with Salt Lake, Cincinnati, and uh, Nashville, Tennessee. But you roll into to, to Fort Worth, and they would actually play in, a, in an arena that was part hockey, part rodeo arena. And our broadcast position was actually behind one of the pins where they would keep the bulls. <laughs> and it was freezing. And because the outside temperature was so much warmer than inside, condensation would form. And our guys would actually be skating through clouds of condensation on the rink. It was, it was absolutely nuts. So. But uh, you, know, you earned your stripes. And from there, I, I did uh, college basketball with Purdue and then got an opportunity to work with the Kansas City Kings when I was about, uh, I think it was 20, 20, 25 or 26 years old. Right. And got with the Kings in Kansas City. And that was a, uh, a marvelous introduction um, into the NBA. That's where I really got to know uh, some people that I, I still uh, talk to to this day um, in the NBA. And, uh, uh, our first game, I remember, regular season game was at home at Kemper Arena against the Los Angeles Lakers, the great Los Angeles Lakers with Kareem, uh, Magic, Coop, Byron Scott, and at the, at the broadcast microphone was Chick Hearn. And that's when I first introduced myself to Chick Hearn, and he could not have been nicer to me. I uh, wanted to know all about, you know, where'd you come from? Why are you doing this? You know, uh, how'd you get the job? Uh, what do you need to know about our club? Let me see your charts. The whole thing. He was terrific. Uh, to, I, I remember that to this day, and I always tried to be that same kind of guy to other broadcasters as well anytime I encountered them. That's awesome stuff right there. And you mentioned the fact that you were the minor league voice for the Islanders farm team. John Forslund, the guy that we had on our podcast, he does the NHL on NBC. I'm sure you probably heard of him, Kevin. He started up with the Springfield Indians, the minor league affiliate for the New York Islanders a couple of years after you did your time over, over, with, uh, over with them. And even, you know, you talked about your high school beginnings. Uh, Doc Emmerich was from Indiana, so that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome to yeah. see two Indiana kids and then literally in the same web, John Whistling and you, even though they were a couple of years further away from each other. Yeah. Forslund, Forslund is, and I'll tell you about Forslund. I don't know him. I've not met him, but I look forward to one, one, at one point meeting him. He is one of the best play-by-play -play guys, any sport that I've heard. Um, and I, you know, I, because of what was going on with the avalanche, you know, or not the avalanche, I'm sorry, the, uh, the hurricane, what was going on with the hurricane out there in Raleigh, uh, the last couple of years, the excitement that they built, uh, that, that kind of that that swagger they have, the chip on their shoulder, that kind of thing. Right. I got kind of plugged into that. I, I got the NHL package because I, I like to follow hockey a little bit. And uh, I can't say I'm a consummate fan. Uh, but I've, I've got the NHL package and I'll, I'll watch, uh, you know, I'll watch a fair amount of hockey. And, uh, uh, man, the first time I 
heard he and Tripp doing broadcast. It was a fun broadcast, informative. The guy has so many great catchphrases and terms and ways of describing what you're seeing out on the ice. I mean, just marvelous. And then I did a little research, and I guess he had done the Hartford Whale for a long time. Yep. And uh, and then and came on board there with uh, with the Hurricane. And and it's unfortunate uh, that, you know, they were able to, unable to work anything out with him because he's a, a tremendous local announcer. And then when he did the stuff in the bubble on NBC, just floored me, uh, bec- uh, what those guys did. Because he was doing at one point, uh, I think he and Kenny at one point were doing two, maybe three games a day at one point. I mean, they were right. churning a lot of work. And they had other guys on the staff, but they seemed to be the two primary guys. And so now that Doc has retired, I, I would assume that Forslund is going to get a lot of national exposure on that NBC package because he's, I, to me, he's just marvelous. Well said, Kevin. Well said. Evan, so you've called games in college and the pros from back in the day and obviously up till now. In your mind, how has the game of basketball, how has it uh, uh, changed in your mind from when you started to call games up until now? Well, the three-point shot obviously is such a factor now, Sean, in the NBA. And and it, 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 it wasn't that way when I started with the Kings back in 83, 84. Even though when I look at that roster, had they had the had there been an emphasis on the three-point shot at that time? Of course, it came into the NBA and what was it, 78, 79. Had they had the emphasis on the three at that time, the Kings would have been better than a 39-win team. Now, why do I say that? Because they had some great shooters. Eddie Johnson out of Illinois, tremendous three-point shooter, uh, who later played for us here in Seattle with the Supersonics. Uh, Larry Drew, terrific underrated point guard. Uh, Billy Knight from Pittsburgh, excellent shooter from range, played, had some great years with the Indiana Pacers. Mike Woodson, uh, who had some tremendous years as well as a player and a coach there in New York with the Knicks. I mean, we had some shooters on that squad, but at that time it was all about how do you counter Kareem? You better have a big guy on the post, somebody that can battle, that can slug it out because it was a postman's game. It was toss it to the post, draw the D, kick it to a cutter, get to the rim, that type of thing. Um, so that to me, that's the biggest thing that's revolutionized the game is the three. And now the range of the three, uh, we're taking it to a whole nother level now where guys are accurate to 35 feet. Guys like Damian Lillard. I mean, watching him for four years is just phenomenal. Steph Curry obviously, you know, started this whole thing of just letting it go. Green light and across midcourt, boom, letting it go. Uh, James Harden obviously has unlimited range, just like those three. And now Trey Young in Atlanta is making it a, a factor. And Luka Doncic is stepping out there. So, you know, there are five, six, seven guys who, if you're a head coach, you're saying, you know, as soon as that dude clears midcourt, if he gets a little momentum and he's got some space, that's a three-point shot. If he's shooting roughly 30% out there, I'm taking that shot. And if he can advance and get a little closer, his percentage gets a little higher and, you know, pretty soon, if you're shooting 35% from three-point range, that's as good as anything you're going to get going to the rim or posting up and doing that type of thing. And that's, and that's what Houston did. And uh, that's the way Houston was playing. Remember with, with Harden, it was drive it, then get to the rim, go up and under with that move of his, draw the foul and get the N1, you get a three-point shot there, or you kick to the corner and get a three. I mean, that was the whole, the whole premise of Daryl Morey's uh, approach there in Houston. So the three and the implementation of three – 
uh, to me, are the, are the biggest differences. And then secondarily, it would be the change in the defensive rules where back in the day, you could arm bar, you could hold, you could guide a guy, put your hand on his waist. As innocuous as that looked, players will tell you when dudes are that strong, they put your hand on their waist, they can lock you up. They can get you to go where they want you to go. They would allow you to bump cutters and so forth and kind of cheat a little bit on the screens. But uh, the emphasis now in the league is freedom of movement. They want more offense. They don't want to return to the kind of basketball that we were seeing in uh, the early 90s when teams were grinding to a halt in a half-court set. Absolutely right there, Kevin. And the rules have definitely changed. Let's talk about the team that you were broadcasting for a little bit in time for the four years, the Portland Trailblazers. So far yeah. uh, this offseason, they made a couple of moves to go out there and build around Damian Lillard. They had a, I guess you could say, a pretty good postseason run in the bubble, albeit yeah. early for them. What, what's your take on the 2021 uh, Portland Trailblazers going into this season? Well, I think they have the best point guard in the league. Now, I know Curry's coming back, and uh, but I, Dame, is, he's been a couple times. He's been first-team All-NBA. Uh, to me, he's the whole package. Uh, his defense has improved over the last couple of years, but his playmaking, his vision, uh, his ability to get to the rim and finish, high, high percentage shooter from three, as we've mentioned, uh, can get just about anything he wants inside the arc, coming off a screen, uh, can create his own stuff. Uh, very powerful when he gets to the rim as well. Great finisher. I just, I really love Damian Lillard's, uh, his game and, and now his prowess in late games as well and starting to, to feel his way along when it comes to the playoffs. And I think this year what they want to do is limit his, kind of back his minutes off a little bit and maybe even give him some time management. And in other words, sit him down on some occasions because this is a very compact 72-game schedule. Now, the past, Dame has not wanted to do that. He's cut from that cloth that says, I want to play 48 minutes. He told me once, he said, halftime should be five minutes. He said, because you cool down, you get out of your rhythm. He says, all we need is five minutes. Back-to-back uh, -back games, no problem for Damian Lillard. So, I mean, he, he's that type of guy. And then his running mate, C.J. McCollum, is, is, has the same type of work ethic, same type of attitude about the game, very cerebral, always looking to improve his game. So you've got two guys there. While they're slightly downsized as guards, which sometimes it puts them at a disadvantage on the defensive end, uh, but not a huge factor when you consider between these two guys, there are a lot of nights, they're going to get 50 between them. I mean, you can start on any given night looking at close to 50 points between these two guys, which is huge. But the big factor this year is going to be the health of Yusuf Nurkic, their, their, their big man from Bosnia, just terrific. Um, he unfortunately broke his, his, his gosh, he, he broke his leg going back a year ago to the playoffs or late in the, in, in the season before the playoffs and then was out all of last year, was due to come back, remember, in March, a week, uh, that week of the shutdown. He was going to come back against Houston at home on, on something like March 16th, uh, but the league was shut down at that point, so he never got a chance to even work out with his team for that period of time. And so, you know, things, things were a work in progress for the Blazers in the summer. But now with a healthy Nurk in camp, working with Dame, CJ, the addition of Robert Covington, as you mentioned, Jones at a wing, the guy that won the slam dunk contest, Springy, 6'6", 
Covington is a solid three and D guy in the league. They had Ennis Cantor as a backup center. Zach Collins is recovering from a, a broken foot. He's due back in January. That gives them another seven-footer that can block shots, uh, shots coming off the bench. Carmelo Anthony did a terrific job last year as a starter for the Blazers, only because they were racked with injuries. But Carmelo had a great run with the Blazers, and it was good to see him come back. But he's agreed to come off the bench. He'll be an X factor for sure coming off the bench. So Gary Trent out of Duke had a solid year last year, three-point shooter at the two. Um, they're, 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 I think they're going to be a solid team. And that depth will serve them, guys, because as I mentioned, this is a compressed season, 72 games. You've got to kind of create your own energy, too, because you're, you're not going to have fans in the stands uh, in the NBA for the foreseeable future. So you got to create your own energy, and that, that's going to come from, from your group and the depth of experience that you have together. So, I, I mean, I like the Blazers. The West is tough. Uh, I mean, the, the Los Angeles Lakers are stocked. Uh, adding Schroeder, I thought, was nice. They got him at a point guard. Uh, I was doing some notes on the Lakers today. I was taking a look at some of the game uh, film of that uh, Clipper game they played on Sunday when that uh, Talon Horton Tucker, uh, the kid who played six games for him last year, he's just 20 years old, 6'4 at Iowa State. He had 33 points. He had 10 boards and four steals against the Clippers, and LeBron was raving about the guy. And so you add him to, to the mix already. They got Wes Matthews, AD is signed, LeBron is signed. They don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. Um, Caruso, Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, uh, Montrez Harrell is going to be a monster coming off the bench for the Los Angeles Lakers. So, you know, while the, the Blazers are deep, the Lakers are defending champs. And, and very few teams, if any, have a matchup for LeBron. If there is a team in the West that has a matchup for him, it would be the Clippers between Kawhi Leonard and, and, and Paul George. So very, very tough Western Conference, you know, where the Denver Nuggets are lurking um, as well with Jokic, who is an MVP candidate without question. going to be a fun year. Kevin is definitely going to be um, a fun year, pal. Um, a coach that I like, but he seems to get a lot of heat, and I'm glad that Portland made their run, is Terry uh, Stotts. Like, I'm a big fan of him, and it seems like, you know, he, he just doesn't get the respect, at least over here, that he uh, <laughs> deserves. What is your take on him coming into, I think this is year number nine or ten? Number nine, yeah. Yeah, he's the second-winningest second coach in the history of the Portland Trailblazers. Um, they have made the playoffs uh, consecutive years now for, I want to say, six or seven consecutive years. They, um, you know, they're under Terry Stotts, you have, as a player, you have freedom to express yourself offensively as long as you give it to him on the defensive end. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think Terry has been blessed with a great roster. Uh, over the last six years. Um, you know, maybe the best squad they had was six or seven prior to this year, and I think this may be one of their better squads with uh, with Damian Lillard as as their leader. Uh, was was When they had Wes Matthews, and they had, a, had it really going, and then he blew up his Achilles in the spring. You know, they had Aldridge, they had Wes, obviously. Nicholas Batum was still with them. Uh, that was a solid, solid squad. And you had Damian Lillard, a young point guard who was leading him. But I think this may be the best team since then. 
Um, but Terry has been able to, he's been able to cobble it together. Uh, you know, he's an offensive coach that gives guys the latitude to get it done. He is a tremendous coach when it comes to developing talent. Uh, that to me is what's most interesting. I mean, Yusuf Nurkic, you look at where he was, uh, out of shape, unloved, uh, on the bench with the Denver Nuggets, and they traded Mason Plumlee to get him uh, five years ago. And they brought Nurk in. And a lot of it is – the uh, Terry would, would tell you, if he were here, he'd say a lot of it is a function of our leader, and that's Damian Lillard. He's just terrific at bringing guys in, making them part of the family, uh, loving them up, telling them they can do it, developing confidence. But Terry Stotts also very quietly does that as well. He, he conducts uh, – Crisp, quick, purposeful practices, doesn't stop down a lot and stop the guy's momentum or flow. If he does, it's to make a teaching point. He's not a guy that yells or gets out, bent out of shape. He's always pretty calm and cool there on the bench, kind of sizing things up. Uh, I think he's a pretty good coach when it comes to X's and O's out of timeouts offensively. Uh, defensively, I think sometimes they uh, the, the lack of defenders hurt them, but this may be the best defensive team that Terry's had in a while. As I mentioned with those guys, Nurkic, terrific rim protector. Uh, Collins is same, same deal, can protect at the rim, weak side shot blocker. Uh, they've really bolstered their defense now with Jones and with, uh, with Robert Covington. And so it'll be uh, really interesting to see uh, how, how Terry uh, coaches the defensive side of the basketball this year. Moving from one West Coast team to another, big moves right here for the Phoenix Suns. Monty Williams becomes the new head coach yeah. for the Suns. They get Chris Paul, a reunion of the New Orleans Hornets from back in 2011 when they almost upset the Lakers in six, in seven games and said that didn't happen. But they, that Hornets team did have some great chemistry. And this Suns team right now is sort of somewhat similar to – what the Hornets had back in 2011 with Williams and Paul there. Now you have Devin Booker, a shooter, who's trying to get the best out of it, out of his situation. DeAndre Ayton coming, being the number one overall pick and such, trying to reinvent, not reinvent himself, but try and find his way in the NBA. Right. Talk to us about the Phoenix Suns here for this upcoming season. Well, Chris Paul's as wily a point guard as there is in the NBA. He gives people fits, uh, and he's a tremendous leader, as we know. Uh, so in those two aspects, that takes a lot off the shoulders of Devin Booker. He, Devin d doesn't have to be the leader, doesn't have to continually carry the team, doesn't have to be the brains on the squad, on the floor constantly, and be the guy that is – scoring the basketball he can do what he does best and that is score the ball and he is a phenomenal scorer phenomenal shooter with range mid-range touch has the size to take those big guards inside post them uh it's terrific running the floor i mean you can imagine Aiden with a, a rebound chris paul with the outlet and then ahead to devin booker that's a pretty good start and then they signed langston galloway who's another uh, multi-purpose type player, really smart player, uh, great locker room guy as well. And then Etwan Moore, who uh, out of Purdue, you know, put it himself quite well, I thought, in New Orleans uh, as a, as a three-point shotter and a threat coming off a uh, shooter and as a threat coming off the bench. So, I, you know, I like what Phoenix has done there without question. Um, there just aren't 
any teams that you can confidently feel like you're going to go and just and, and whoop up on them in the West. There just aren't. Uh, everybody's got uh, everybody's got something there that you have got to calculate and plan for. Uh, there just aren't any sleepers anymore in the West. Uh, and, and I don't know that Phoenix, with the play-in system, and given what they did in the bubble, the Phoenix Suns, uh, don't count them out. They, you know, they, they very well could be one of those 10 seeds, and you don't want to get that 10th seed in the playoff uh, and, and this new playoff format that they have, the play-in format, because that's uh, in a, in a five-game series, that's murder. It definitely is, Kevin. It definitely is. Kevin, the Clippers had so much hype coming into the year, so much hype, Kawhi signs and Paul George, uh, the trade for him. They came up short in the Western uh, semis. Doc loses his job. He goes to uh, uh, Philly now. So a two-parter here. The first part is in your mind, what do you think went wrong with the Clippers towards the end of the year? And number two, what's your take on Doc now in uh, Philly uh, coaching Ben and uh, Joel? Yeah, I, the bubble just affected guys in different ways. I just think they ran into a Denver team that had so many matchup difficulties for them. Um, and to be up 3-1 as they were, uh, hard. I, it's just hard to look back and tell you what happened in, in game five, and six, seven. Um, you know, ultimately, Jokic is just too much, just too much of a, a matchup nightmare for that squad in hindsight, looking at it. Um, you, you've got a, obviously with George and Kawhi Leonard, uh, you've got two incredible defenders, as I just mentioned. Um, and so in a matchup with the Lakers, you feel like you feel confident there. Uh, but I just wonder about their bigs. I mean, matching up with AD, you've got Serge Ibaka on that squad. Now this year they lose Montrez Harrell, as I mentioned. Uh, it essentially remains Beverly, Kawhi, PG, Marcus Morris, you got Lou Will coming off the bench. Um, they pick up Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Nick Batum. I mean, that bench, those guys have have had some run. I like Kennard. It would be interesting to see how he develops. But, you know, there's a lot of guards there, and I just don't see a lot of length, a lot of size uh, for the Los Angeles Clippers. So in a matchup with with the Lakers, I kind of wonder, or with the, the Denver Nuggets, I kind of wonder um, – you know, where, where they're going to be. So, but in terms of Doc going to Philadelphia, I've always been a, a Doc Rivers fan. Daryl Morey is going to Philadelphia as well, the general manager. So things will get interesting there. Um, the relationship that, that Doc has with Embiid will uh, obviously tell the difference of whether or not they achieve anything there or not. And certainly with Ben Simmons, uh, there was a lot of rumors about, you know, Philadelphia may be interested in, in Harden, and maybe it's Ben Simmons going to Houston. Um, to be determined. We'll see. I mean, if you're if you're Harden or just a, a handful of teams, he's going to want to go to. Uh, and it, he, he's really put Houston behind the eight ball because everybody knows Houston's motivated to do something. Uh, and when you're motivated to do something, and people know that. Sometimes it's a little tough to negotiate. So, uh, but you know, Philly to me is still going to be one of the top four teams over in the East, uh, without question. That's not a news flash. Um, right now, looks like Milwaukee's the team to beat. We'll see how KD plays uh, coming back from that injury. 
as he has in, in Kyrie Irving and uh, whether or not, who knows, maybe Brooklyn would be involved in a, in a hardened deal because if he used to, what you're looking to do was just get assets, picks and assets and young players. And, uh, you know, looking at that, looking at the, the, the Brooklyn roster, you know, uh, Karis Levert to me is just a phenomenal athlete, tremendous player. You know, you got Joe Harris, who's a now a proven NBA three-point shooter. Um, you know, there's some pieces there on that Brooklyn team that would intrigue me if I'm uh, maybe looking at reinventing myself, as I think Houston is eventually going to be doing this year. Talk to us about the New York teams right now. You alluded to Sean's Nets. Sean is a Nets fan. <laughs> and with everything going on in Brooklyn, they still – you know, they, they are the national team, but it's always here in New York that it's going to be a Knicks town no matter what, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you dice it, even though the Knicks have been terrible the past couple of years. Talk to us about both New York teams. Well, you know, again, with, with Brooklyn, I'm looking at their rosters, and I mentioned Levert, Joe Harris, uh, Jared Allen is a very mobile center. Um, they've got DeAndre Jordan now to back up if, if they need somebody to go into the paint and, and go toe-to-toe and slug it out with people. Torian Prince is a sturdy 3-and-D type guy. I think he's going to develop into a, a, you know, a, a nice player. I think he's coming into his fourth year. And then uh, Landry Shamit is lights out. He would be one of those pieces if I'm used to, and I definitely need him in any kind of deal with Levert and, Joe, and a guy like Joe Harris. Uh, but, you know, it's going to come down to Kyrie Irving, and uh, it's going to come down to uh, the relationship that Nash, Steve Nash, their new coach, is able to develop with KD, with Kyrie Irving. As for the New York Knicks, I'll be honest with you, I haven't paid any attention to the Knicks. I haven't. I've paid no attention to the Knicks. The only people that pay attention to the Knicks are the diehard Knicks fans, and they aren't necessarily the people that show up at Madison Square Garden, where most of the folks, in my experience is most of the folks outside of the 100 level. Uh, you know, where the big timers are and the uh, some pro uh, other pro athletes and members of the media and uh, Hollywood stars and so forth sit. Beyond that, it's basically tourists from out of town. <laughs> Madison Square Garden. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, but um, uh, it's but it's, it behooves the league, though, for the Knicks to get better, to be better, um, without question. But, uh, you know, when it comes to following the Knicks, I just, I just don't at this point. I mean, is there – you tell me. Is there, is there any hope for them this year? What, what, Zero. what excites you about the Knicks? Let me put it that way. Uh, whether it be general manager, coach, player, what excites you about them? Anything intrigue you guys? Just R.J. Barrett at that point trying to go into year two and try and, you know, not fall into that sophomore slump. And you get to see this New York product, Obi Toppin, the, I believe, the eighth pick taken overall. There's a lot of eyes on him. And there are also a lot of guys, look, you know, Kevin, you know it, you see it, you broadcast games. There are guys going into their year four and five where a lot of people are writing them off. But realistically, they're still young enough. It, back 20 years ago, those same 22, 23-year-old guys – would be rookies in the NBA right now. Yeah, yeah, true. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on for sure, and you're handing a lot of kids uh, money like crazy. So you know it's oh. just nuts. Well, you make a good point though about the 22 to 24 year old player 
very good point. Uh, you look at those athletes as coming out as after their junior or senior year, you get really excited about the prospects, uh, but they have had to learn uh, coming right out of the box after a very limited time of playing maybe 27 to 30 games of freshman ball in college and then, and then coming to New York to play for the Knicks. But uh, point well taken. And, uh, yeah, if I'm a Knicks fan, uh, you have only hope and you have to have faith. That's all you got right now. That's it. That's all you got. That's very true. That's all you got. Uh, Kevin, this may be an impossible question to answer. If it is, I apologize. You've called so many games. You've done so many thrilling games and exciting games. Do you have a favorite two or three games that you've ever, ever uh, called uh, so far? Yeah, the Game 7 championship. Uh, world championship played in the Bay Area. Uh, the 73 win Golden State Warriors and the Cavaliers down three games to one. Game seven, Kyrie Irving shot late in the game. Uh, the, the adjustments that Teron Lou made in that series um, to move uh, Tristan Thompson out away from the rim and pursue Clay Thompson and others around the perimeter, I thought was huge. That was just a great series to do. And I did that on ESPN radio with UB Brown. So that whole series on the worldwide network. Uh, so yeah, that was probably the, uh, the most memorable game outside of a Sonic game or, or a blazer game. Uh, the shocker that uh, Damian hit from long range over Paul George in that series in game five against the Oklahoma city thunder a couple of years ago in the playoffs that ranks as one of the great, buzzer beaters or, or, or last minute shots that I've ever, ever witnessed or ever called. Um, the Sonic years were great years. George Carl with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Percy Hawkins, the great Sam Perkins. Uh, those were memorable years. And, you know, for five years, those guys were winning an average of 56 games. So there were a lot of memorable games in that period of time. But uh, the one that really stands out would be the Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals against the Utah Jazz when the, the Sonics finally cleared that hurdle of beating the Jazz, the great Stockton and Malone and that group, Jerry Sloan, the coach. Um, that, that was a huge game. And then to, to be able to, to, to go on and play into the, in the finals. And then, you know, any of those final games, uh, the six games that the Sonics played against the 96 Chicago Bulls, Game six was memorable because Jordan, remember, was, had been out the last the two previous years, one full year and then uh, the most of the second year, and then came back. And they were the winningest team in the league at that time. They won 72 games, and the Sonics won 64. Um, they had split during the course of the regular season, and now here they are in the finals. So any of those six games to me were phenomenal. And I had Marcus Johnson alongside doing the color commentary, which made it even more special because – Marcus and I got to be friends, still are, and really enjoyed the way he did a game and just everything that he did as a player and a, a college player and a pro and so forth. So, you know, it was a real honor to be there with Marcus to witness that and, and to do that game. And in fact, I brought my brother in and my brother did statistics for us. <laughs> so that was extra special to have my, my little brother doing uh, stats for us there uh, courtside in Chicago 
there in uh, game six to wrap it up. And that's, that's when Jordan grabbed the, uh, the trophy and remember it fell to the floor because his father, James Jordan had been murdered, uh, I think the year before that. So it had been a rough, rough road to that. Uh, what was then the fourth of six championships. Um, and then of course he would reel off another couple to give him six. And I thought that they kept them together. They probably would have won another two. They did. I think they'd have won eight championships there in Chicago if they'd have kept he and Scotty together for another couple of years. Kevin, I got to ask you this one. Since Sean, I got to piggyback off of the greatest moments here. You know, for me, I got to watch game four of the 2006 first round against the Suns and the Lakers. It was at Staples Center. You remember very well, probably Sunday afternoon game at Staples. Uh, Kobe Bryant hitting the game winner against Phoenix, a team in which they didn't have Amari Stoudemire. And, you know, Steve Nash won his second of back-to-back MVPs at that point. Right. Uh, just talk to us about that game and what, you know, you broadcast the games, you know, with Kobe Bryant in it. Uh, just talk to us about the Lakers and Kobe and about that moment, game four, on that Sunday in 2006. Yeah, that was crazy. Um of course, the, one of the pivotal shots was a, a, a tip-in by um, by Ron Artest uh, late in the game along the baseline. That was in um, 2010. That was that 2010. Yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm dating myself now. Um, <laughs> going back to 06. I, it's it's I, nothing really stands out about 06, but you mentioned these these characters and. Uh, just the, the greatness of those squads. Without Amari Stoudemire, they were handcuffed without question. Um, but Nash, Nash was a guy who kind of, you talked earlier about changes in the game. He was a guy that kind of revolutionized the game a little bit from that point guard position. Yep. You know, his ability to, to dribble in deep and to actually kind of orchestrate from the baseline. And I think he credited some of that with, watching hockey, observing Gretzky and the way Gretzky would kind of sometimes would create from behind the net and it would feed from behind the net and circle behind the net or deke or, or come back behind the net, try to wrap around a shot, stuff like that. And, and so Nash would attempt to do the same thing down on the baseline and create from there. And if he didn't have that, he'd circle back outside and then he would suddenly turn and the defenders, it's just hard to stay with a guy that long. The defender would be trailing. He'd able be able to turn fake, and then dish or take that shot. And, and Nash also would, was a purveyor of the three-point shot, a little bit ahead, ahead of his time. And he could, he could make you pay from out there as well. You know, in terms of Kobe Bryant, um, closest thing to Jordan that I had ever seen, without question, and had just that unquenchable fire and desire to win uh, and, and was willing to do the work uh, in order to achieve that. Not only was granted with God-given ability, but just the ability to – uh, work and and tireless work off uh, off season uh, before and after games. He was one of those guys that you would observe out on the court before anybody else before a game. Uh, sometimes he'd come out and take a few shots after a game if things didn't go his way. Uh, just that good, uh, and it was it was because of his work ethic. I think more than anything else, uh, but. You know, you just feel blessed to be able to see those guys play and create and, and just become the pra- pros that uh, what they later were. But, yeah, 06 just doesn't stick in my memory much, unfortunately. But I do remember the principles, and those two guys were phenomenal. Yep. 
absolutely right there. Well said, Kevin. Evan, my final question for you is, we know the Western Conference and the moves that they made, the Eastern Conference teams and the teams and the moves that they made. Who do you see in, I believe it's June, who do you see in the NBA uh, Finals of next year, uh, Summer Pal? Well, I like the Los Angeles Lakers to come back. I like them to repeat as champions. Um, I think with the depth we talked about uh, that they've been able to, to build with there, um, the fact that they now they have a, uh, a couple of ball handlers to take the pressure off of LeBron having to create all the time. Um, I think they will be able to load manage LeBron again this year in this, in this season. Uh, I think they'll be able to really monitor his minutes. And now that Anthony Davis has gotten a taste of what success and a championship is like, that guy is going to be unstoppable. I mean, you're talking about two of the top, in my opinion, two of the top five players in the league right now mm-hmm. on that Lakers team. So I, I like the Lakers against the field. Uh, you know, I look at Milwaukee with Giannis coming back now. They add Drew Holiday, which I think is a nice pickup. He's a tremendous uh, guard at that position defensively, can score, handles it well, can play that position. Um would have liked to have seen them get some shooting. The Bogdanovich deal that fell through, I think, you know, may hurt them. We'll see. But, you know, they've won 60 games or so in the last couple of years. I think they're well coached. Um, they did not they did not react well to the bubble last year, uh, but they have kind of retooled their bench a little bit. And so I I, I do. I like Milwaukee coming out of, uh, of the East, even though KD is up right now and playing with Kyrie and but stay tuned. Anything could happen out there. Absolutely right there. Kevin, with, with everything going on, you mentioned the, the NBA Finals. Is there a sleeper? We, we talked about the Western Conference before. In the East, is there a sleeper team for you, like let's say the Atlanta Hawks going out there with Trey Young in his, I believe, his third year right now with Danilo Gallinari and yeah. all the guys with veteran presence there now and, you know, maybe in Orlando. In that sense, do you see any sleepers out of the East? Well, it's interesting you mentioned Atlanta because I'm doing a little, little homework on them today. And I would agree. Um, you know, Nate McMillan joins him on the bench with Lloyd Pierce. So you get some great seasoning on the bench. Uh, Nate's always had uh, the defensive aspect to him in his, in his coaching career in Seattle, later with Portland, then with Indiana. Uh, so, and, you know, it was a point guard himself back in the day. And so I, I think he's really going to help Lloyd Pierce on that staff. And then they add free agents like Gallinari. So now you've got some shooting. They add Bogdanovich. Now you've got a, a real wild card guy who can just flat light it up. Uh, Rajon Rondo joins him. They get an athlete with like Chris Dunn, who's also a guy who can handle it. Um, physical guard. And remember, they had Clint Capella, but didn't play for him last year because of the injury. So you get a bonafide, very mobile five-man coming back for Atlanta to team with Trey Young. Um, and with the holdovers that they had, which were, I think, very interesting players. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't rule Atlanta out being, again, with those play-in, with this new play-in format, being a team that's, you know, going to be a, an 8, 9, 10 seed and and 
a team that you just will not want to play in the first round of the playoffs. Kevin, my final question for you here is, you know, you're, you're in Seattle right now. The Sonics, they were everything to the Seattle fan base. The Mariners haven't been that great. The, the NHL team, the Kraken, they're going to be coming in next season. And the Seattle Seahawks, they've been great since Russell Wilson has been uh, with them at that point in time. But talk to us about how important the Seattle Sonics were to Seattle. And, you know, with, with the Kraken coming in now, uh, just talk to us about how huge of an opportunity it is for the Kraken to develop it. And also, do you see basketball returning uh, to the Emerald City? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do see pro basketball coming back to, to Seattle, and, and it dovetails with what the Kraken are doing. They, they have put close to a billion dollars now of their own money. Jerry Bruckheimer and his partners, uh, Mr. Bonderman, they have put close to a billion dollars into redoing the old key arena in downtown Seattle, and they've teamed with Amazon uh, to, to make this state-of-the-art building. And they want a state-of-the-art team in the NHL. And I think once the NHL comes to Seattle, I think they're going to be wildly successful. Um, they come online next year. And God willing, we'll have some fans in the stands in the 21 uh, season, uh, both in the NBA and the NHL. But that place is going to be a tough place to play. It's going, I've, I've done a tour of it. It's an, going to be an amazing building. So with the success of the crack and success of the building uh, and, the, and that success uh, and plus with the NBA renewing their national TV contract coming up in 25 with uh, owners losing revenue as they have last year and again losing revenue this year because of the loss of gate about 40% of the income that the NBA realizes is through the gate and merchandise and so forth within the building itself. So when you lose that, that's a large chunk of dough that you're losing. So I can see that the NBA may be uh, possibly the owners in 25 look to expand by a couple of teams um, for sake of revenue and for sake of capturing these vibrant, great markets. And I'm thinking of Louisville, possibly Kansas City, Vegas, but Seattle's gotta be right there 41 years of history, any number of Hall of Fame players, the great Lenny Wilkins, Jack Sigma. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Gus Williams, downtown, Freddie Brown, one-time championship, Gary Payton, a Hall of Famer, Sean Kemp, who's notorious around this neighborhood and everywhere, is one of the great power players of all time, Detlef Shrimp. I mean, the names go on and on. With that kind of history, 41 years of that, I just don't see the NBA passing on an opportunity to come back. So I think within five years, I think NBA basketball will be coming back to Seattle. And I think some of it will because will be because uh, Ron Francis and that ownership group there uh, in Seattle with the crack and, you know, really make that a, uh, a thing. Uh, I think NHL is going to be phenomenal in Seattle. Kevin, if the ownership group of the Kraken came to you and said, hey, we need a play-by-play -play voice. Would you broadcast Kraken games if they came up to you? Uh, <laughs> well, I think what they're going to be looking for is, I, I would say I'll give it a crack. I would say, <laughs> No pun intended on that one, right? <laughs> no pun intended. 
I, I would say, you know, I will, I'll do my homework. I'm a good broadcaster. Uh, I like to think that I, I, I can figure things out. Um, uh, but I, I don't think I would be their one of their top choices. But yeah, if they ask, I would, I would certainly give it a shot. But I think there are going to be a number of really great announcers, qualified guys out there that have done the NHL that are going to be standing in line, baby, to get that job. Because I think it's going to be a, I really think it's going to be a, a great, great franchise. It definitely is. It's looking like it. If they could get the the home run hitters like the Vegas Golden Knights did back a couple of years ago, <laughs> yeah, anything right. is possible. Anything is possible. Anything, anything is possible is right. Uh, and, you know, they haven't named a coach yet. Ron Francis said in the paper a couple of days ago that, you know, they're in no hurry to do that. They want to see how things shake out. Absolutely. I lied. This is my final question. Out of all, <laughs> out of all the play-by-play uh, the color commentators that you've worked with, who would be in your top three? Well, you know, I mentioned a couple of them. Dr. Jack Ramsey, who I did years and years of radio with. Yubi uh, Brown, I just had a, a great time doing broadcast with Yubi on radio. Marcus Johnson, uh, the years that he and I worked together uh, in Seattle doing those broadcasts. Uh, my partner in Portland, Lamar Hurd, is uh, a phenomenal talent. Uh, that hasn't yet gotten to the national level, but will. Uh, he and I actually go back to the Pac-12. He and I did some Pac-12 basketball on the Pac-12 network before we did laser basketball. He's a real, really smart guy. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a good one. But, those, you know, and I've worked with a lot of dudes. Um, th- those, would be, uh, those would be my top, probably my top four or five. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Before you go, how do the people follow you on social media? Well, just uh, by my name uh, on Twitter. Um, you can you can follow me by name on Twitter. Short and sweet, just the way how how he calls the game. Kevin Calabro, the great. There you go. Great Kevin Calabro. Thank you so much for sacrificing some Thank time. Thank you, Kevin. Talking basketball, hockey, and sports in general. We really appreciate it here. Thank you. Yeah, well, my pleasure, Sean. It was great uh, talking to you guys. I appreciate the interest. Absolutely. I appreciate you, Kevin. You're always welcome back on. Yeah, anytime, man. Thank you. Will, that was the one and only Kevin Calabro. Will, I've been listening to him on ESPN, our radio, for the longest while. Like he said, Hubie Brown and Barry and, and you know, everybody else. So it Dr. was an Jack. honor and Dr. Jack, it was an honor to talk to the voice that we hear. It was an honor, man. Yep, Lot, lots of history right there. Talking about our New York Islanders, Sean. He broadcasted a season for the minor league affiliate. Small Portland. world, man. It's it definitely is a small world. And he was the main voice for the Seattle Sonics, and now he's the voice of the Portland Trailblazers. So just want to give him a shout-out and a man that knows – just about nearly everything just about in sports. So Kevin Calabro, one of a kind, a gentleman, and a, and a great man in general. So shout out to Kevin as well uh, for coming on. Definitely, definitely, well, definitely. Will, any final thoughts, Bob? No, no final thoughts here. Just, again, thank you to Kevin Calabro for coming on. Really appreciate it. And, you know, talking some NBA and sports in general, nothing really here, you know. There's a lot of news going on. We broke down Giannis. We broke down the NBA. Broke down some hockey even a little bit. So it's a well-rounded, even though it's an NBA preview, 
it's a well-rounded show for sure. I definitely as well. I definitely as well. No final thoughts from me, pal. So lead the way, Will. For my co-host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee on the mic, and for our very special guest, the one and only Kevin Calabro, I am your host, William Trucci, logging out. We will talk to you guys soon. Peace out and stay safe wherever you may be.